decent sound out of my microphone. We're good? All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me this morning. It's, it's an honor and a privilege, obviously, to um, get to share with you the Word of God. Uh, it's, it's really amazing when you think about this book we have that's carried through so many generations and so many um, troubles and, and trials and uh, across oceans and through battles, and it's just amazing that we have we have these words that God's given us. And uh, so this morning, as you as you're turning to Acts eleven nineteen, um, you know we're we're going to talk this morning about the goal of gospel multiplication. And uh, it's been a joy already just to, to fellowship with some of you. And um, you know Sunday school class over in the other building, uh, they kind of ended with this idea of evangel evangelism. And then we read about um, you know Operation Christmas Child and and all that. And so it's it's all tied together. I feel like. Somewhat of my sermon's been preached already this morning uh, in a couple places, so that's good. Um, you know, some people have this understanding that uh, throughout the Old Testament, God's really focused on the Jews. It's really about the Hebrews. It's really about the offspring of, of Abraham, you know, the, these specific people. And then, in, you know, we come to the book of Acts in the New Testament, that's when we really see the focus turn to the Gentiles. That's when God seems to open his, you know, open the avenues for the Gentiles. But that's just simply not the testimony of Scripture. Uh, Genesis 12.3, Genesis 18.18, 18, Genesis 22.18, uh, Genesis 26.4, it talks about the, the whole earth will be blessed by your offspring, talking to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these guys, that, that the whole world is going to be blessed because, because of you, because of your faith. Exodus 9.16, um, God tells Pharaoh through Moses, but I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Joshua 4.24 says he did this so that all the people on earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. All the people of the earth. 1 Kings 8.60 so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. I could go on. Psalm 22.27 All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Psalm 82.8, rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. All the nations, not just one, all the nations. Isaiah 25.6, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. In Isaiah 66.20, they will bring all your brothers from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. And so this morning, we're going to focus on the aim of the church, the goal of the church, and that's the multiplication of the church. It's really important that we're reminded constantly of what our goal is. Uh, I, I taught and coached uh, in public school, and um, you know, if, if my athletes are going through training, or or I was a college athlete myself, you're you're getting up at 5:30 in the morning to go run stairs at uh, in Maryville, and you're getting frost on your head, and you know, in February, um, it's really good to be reminded of why it is that I'm doing that. Right, because there's plenty of reasons I can come up with to not do that. Right, but we need to be reminded of that. Um, Zig Ziglar has a quote. He said, "If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time." And so we need to be reminded and be mindful of what is the mission of the church. What what is what are we to do? And so as we as we turn um, to Acts here, um, I'll give you a little context. We'll read the passage together and pray. But um, as we've walked through Acts, of course. Acts is basically the continuation of the Gospel of Luke. It's written by Luke. Um, and so you have a narrative story going on. And we're seeing the early church explode. We're seeing the Spirit of God poured out on His people. 
Um, they're speaking in these, these tongues, these, these um, foreign words, and we're seeing the gospel spread. Many are being added to the church rapid, in a rapid fashion after Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we come to Acts 10, and Peter gets this vision, and it's really vivid, and, and there's the sheet, and it's talking about all these animals, and clean and unclean, and, and God rebukes him and says, don't call common what, or uncommon or whatever it is. Um, I've declared it clean. Don't, don't call something dirty that I've declared clean. And so he's saying, this is for the Gentiles. And then it goes forward, and Peter preaches to uh, a crowd of people, and there's Gentiles, and the Spirit's poured out on them, and they're like, whoa, this is different. And they, they see evidence, the fact that God, God's reaching out to all peoples. And then Peter has to answer to the circumcision party back in Jerusalem because they're like, what are you doing preaching to the Gentiles? And Peter tells them the whole story. And, and leading up to verse 18, basically they hear his story. They hear about all of this. And it says they're kind of silenced and in awe. And they just praised God. They just sat there. And you can read that right there next to your text. But um, So that's where we lead into Acts chapter 11, verse 19. If you are able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Acts chapter 11. Verses 19 through 26, the word of the Lord. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. We just thank you for uh, the ability to gather together freely. We thank you, Lord, that uh, it's your choice and your plan, Lord, that uh, the fellowship of the saints would occur, Lord, that we would be um, saved into a body, Lord, that we could rely on each other, Lord, that you've given um, separate gifts and individual abilities here. And Lord, we just pray that you would just bless your word, God, that you would give us ears to hear that we would absorb what you have for us, Lord, that we would be changed, Lord, that as we read the words that you inspired through Luke's writing, um, Lord, that we would be altered in our approach, Lord, and as we leave, Lord, that we would carry out um, your plan for us and your calling toward us. Lord, just be merciful to us. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So uh, as we get into, we walk through the text, um, three kind of Three kind of touch points or guideposts as we go. Verse 19, as we get into this, is really the context for multiplication. So here, of course, we see a narrative. Luke's just telling us what happened, right? Luke's a, Luke's a doctor. He's a physician. We, we learn that. He's a very learned man. One of the most reliable. I mean, archaeologists look through uh, the book of Acts and Luke to find where biblical sites were and to affirm history. That's where they go. It's just a predominant... Uh, figure in just for historians in general, um, even outside the church. Um, but we see the context for multiplication. So 
Again, we're left with Peter explains to the circumcision party, and they're like, whoa, this is crazy. And then we get to verse 19, and we see the context for multiplication. And so the reason, uh, basically, we have a dispersion, right? And, and it mentions that they were dispersed. They were sent out because of Stephen. What happened to Stephen? So we should probably take a second to talk about that, right? And so if you haven't had the privilege of reading it, um, going back to Acts chapter 6, we meet Stephen. Stephen is appointed to serve the widows, to serve the, the, widow, the Hellenist widows that make sure that food distribution, that they're being taken care of. So he's not a pastor, he's not an elder, um, but he's full of the Spirit, and he's called to testify, basically. And we read throughout Acts 7, um, one of the greatest sermons in the Bible, I think, just uh, by, by a lay deacon here who just lays it out in front of the circumcision party, and basically, by the boldness of the Spirit, he says, you guys crucified the Messiah. And he lays them out. And their response, instead of repentance, was a hardening. And they take Stephen out. If you remember, they stone Stephen. Stephen has a vision of heaven. He sees Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. Normally, we see him seated. This is one time in Scripture we see Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. Stephen cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so Stephen was stoned, and, and from henceforth, all of a sudden, Christianity became a major problem to the Jews. And so these people were basically forced to disperse, right? We, we love our pockets of people. We love our, um, our groups, our cliques, and they were basically forced to flee to wherever they could. And so it talks about Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, and Cyprus and Antioch are some 300 miles away from Jerusalem. So this was not a short trip. Uh, right? They're not going to get in their car or their, their plane uh, to get there, or helicopter. And so Stephen had bore witness to the truth of the Messiah being crucified and stoned. And as what it says here in verse 19 is, as they went, as these disciples got dispersed, what did they do? Well, they shared the gospel. That's what they did. They, they told, they told these, these other people, these other Jews, as it tells us in the text, about the Messiah. So apparently it was just in their DNA, right? It wasn't... It wasn't, again, Stephen wasn't even a, a, a pastor, right? He, he was a layperson, um, but full of the Spirit. And so what they did is that basically God used um, the dispersion of these people through persecution to see the gospel spread. Um, so it highlights, um, one, again, this is in their DNA. They just, when they go, they share Jesus. It's just natural. It's what they do. And a question for us, because um, I know uh, I don't share near as faithfully as I should um, and when I'm prompted, but... How good do we believe the good news to be, right? Has, has the good news hit us hard enough that it's, it's good enough to share with everyone despite uh, pushback or thinking that we're weird or whatever it may be? How good is the good news, right? We, I have no problem talking about the latest thing I heard, you know, or, or show I watched or um, book I read or conversation I had. Um, but why is it that the best news in the history of the entire world I, I keep from people. Um, I don't know. It, it's something that we need to think about. Um, and through this text, we also see this. God's sovereignty is revealed in his method to distribute the gospel. Um, I'm reminded of um, when Joseph speaks to his brothers. Joseph's been restored after a long time of waiting to see God's promise fulfilled. And he says what to his brothers when they're like, they're afraid he's going he's gonna to put them in stocks, right? He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? So understanding, this should reaffirm to us also, by the way, if we face trials of many kinds, it's not for no utility. There's no, there's always use in it. 
Um, we may not see that, this side of eternity. Oftentimes it may be a long time until we see that. But I know that through my trials and storms and, and tribulations, that's made me, that's had me grow a lot more. It's, I've seen God's hand in that way more than the times where it was smooth sailing. And so we need to understand if, if we're going through something, there's a reason. Suffering has fruit. It bears fruit. Um, trials and trouble bear fruit too. So we need to understand that God is sovereign even in these difficult times we go through. And so that's the context for this multiplication going about. And then we move on. Uh, to the second kind of guidepost, and that's the method of multiplication. So how did, how did this multiplication happen? And so we see that in verses 20 through 24. Here's a quote I think is worth writing down if, if, you're, if you're a writer, if you're a note taker. I'm reading a book on church planning right now, and, and Clint Clifton writes this, Churches make disciples, and disciples make churches. I'll say it again. Churches make disciples, and disciples make churches. It sounds kind of like a chicken and the egg thing, doesn't it? But we're going to see it illustrated here, particularly in verses um, yeah, 21 through 24, 20 through 24. And so um, the first kind of the first component of this is, is just evangelization, right? Um, it talked about the, as they went, they were, they were speaking to the Jews. They were telling the Jews about Jesus. Um, but then you had some of these rebels. Uh, I don't know if they were rebellious or not, or just out, they just couldn't keep it in. But they all of a sudden decided to start speaking to the Hellenists. These would have been uh, Greek-speaking Gentiles, not, not believers. And we know it's not believers because it mentions the Jews earlier. And so we, we see these are Gentiles. They're not Jews. And obviously they're not believers because they're sharing the gospel with them in that case. And so these Greek-speaking believers decided to share with those who didn't know Christ. Even while they were exiles, they were, you know, they were cast out of where they were. Um, you know, that wasn't their home. And yet where they were at that moment, they were faithful to share. And, and they shared with people in their own, their own language. It's really simple. Um, and we're going to get into why, why that matters, too, as we go. But as a result of them sharing the gospel, many came to believe and turn to the Lord. And it says God's hand was with them. And, and we know that God's hand was with them because it was evidenced by fruit. Where God is working, we're going to visibly see fruit. And we need to be reminded of this. Unless the Lord is with us, no work's going to be done, right? There's the, the psalm that says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain, right? We need, we need God's help. We need, we need God's empowerment to do this. John 6, says, no one comes to me. This is Jesus. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. So we understand this is, salvation is initiated by God. Great works are initiated by God. Conversion is a miracle from God. And it's interesting, this text, how it's worded, right? It says, um, and many who believe turn to the Lord. It's kind of an interesting thing. Um, I would question, it, do you really believe if your life is not turned to the Lord? Can you believe and yet not turn to the Lord? Right? And I, I think... We do suffer from that as a larger group of people, right? We know um, any given week, I mean, Jesus talked about there's, there's wheat and tares. Um, we know that there are people that, that make a profession, but their works show otherwise. Um, but the question is this, if you're, if you, I would say this, you're, you're not really believing if your life hasn't 
come to that place where you've turned to the Lord. And the, the, fancy, the fancy word, right, maybe you've heard before, we heard it in a prayer already, is repentance. Right? It means to change your mind. It means to turn directions. It means to quit pursuing what I want and instead pursue Christ and whatever he has for me. Like, it's, it's a 180. You see that the biblical witnesses, there, there's no one that goes, yeah, that's great. I believe that. And then they just keep going on as they're going. You, just, you don't see that. And so it's evident. So uh, it's evident that the Lord's hand was with them because people are turning to the Lord. Um, and so my question to you, another reflection is, has your course of life been altered by the reality of Jesus's life, crucifixion, and resurrection? Is that something that has steered your life, has impacted you, continues to impact you? When's the last time you were, you were overwhelmed by this reality? I know far too easy for me even, I've uh, listened to a few sermons in my day, um, how often I can be, yeah, that's great, sounds good, what's for lunch? You know, but no, we're here to celebrate a resurrected Christ who grants us eternal life that, that took his sin, our sins upon himself, that we would be healed and restored and transformed and given life and life eternal. It's a really big deal. And so notice this in this, this little stanza here. How did the Lord break out? Was it through a, a great missionary campaign or crusade? Was it through some missions organization? Did they have some, uh, some celebrity come in and share the gospel? Is that, is that why many came to know the Lord? No. Simple, right? It, it was the plain and simple teaching and preaching of God's word. It says these, these individuals, they preached God's word. Um, I'd say this, I think sometimes we think the only way to preach the word is when the guy on Sunday speaks from the pulpit. That's preaching God's word. But it's very clear that these, these outcasts were preaching the word. It's what it says, right? So we're all in some sense called to be preachers, okay? We may not have a, a 30 to 45 minute expository sermon on Acts, but we don't need that either. We just need God's spirit. And so understanding it wasn't some great, I think sometimes we're like, man, if we just could do this one thing, we'd have this big blowout event, we'd do this deal, then, you know, lots of people would come and they would come to know the Lord. we got to do this thing. I have a pastor friend, he had a, a youth group um, at his previous church and they would have uh, inflatables and all these things, which not to say those are bad things, but they would have these, these huge things on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights for youth and they'd have, you know, over a hundred kids coming. They'd have a lot of kids coming and a lot of, you know, a lot of hubbub, right? Big show. And he said, you know, looking back, I, I, I can only think of a couple of those kids that are still walking with the Lord. It's like, if I could do it over, I'd do it different. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expend all this energy trying to create some event um, or this buzz, right? But we do that, and, and it's, it's so tempting, right? You look around the world, and you see, oh, it seems like that church is growing, and they've got this going on. Maybe we need some of that. Maybe we need, maybe we need to reconsider this. Maybe we need to restructure how we're doing this. Maybe we need to give more time to this thing that, that people really like, whatever it is. Um, but Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, famously said, the church is built on the sharing of the gospel. How is the church built? It's shared by the proclamation of the gospel. That's how the church is built. And it goes back to the, the quote I said earlier, right? Churches make disciples and disciples make churches. There's this never-ending cycle that goes on. It's, it's just like a lot of things, it's, it's incredibly simple, but it's also incredibly difficult. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not hard to grasp, it's hard to do. Um, but that's how the church is built. And here are other pitfalls we can have if we depart from that idea. Um, oftentimes, we can get really wrapped up in social causes. And I, there are plenty of really good social causes to give yourself to, tons of good ones. Um, 
I mean, pro-life issues, um, freedom issues, um, lots of social moral issues we could talk about and spend lots of time talking about, and I'd love to talk about. Um, a lot of times we, we spend all of our energy trying to legislate morality without the power of the Spirit, without someone having the Holy Spirit inside of them. It's like trying to tell someone to be good without the Spirit. Well, they can't. That's what the Bible tells us. They, they can't do that. They need God's power. And so what we do is we champion this cause, and we basically circumvent or remove the biggest problem that every individual on earth has. What's, that, what's the problem? Well, ultimately their problem is that God is holy and good. That's their biggest problem because we are not. We are sinners, right? Simple Christianity 101, but we're, we're not good. Our biggest problem is that God is perfect and holy and he doesn't dwell with unrighteousness and wickedness. He doesn't take part in that. And so here we are stuck as sinners. And if we remove the preaching of the gospel, if we go around, we take the long, more comfortable, quiet way around, we're not going to see our society change. You know, people are like, man, I hope our young people get it. You know, I hope that, I hope that they right the ship. Well, we're here now, and, and how's the ship righted? It, it's, it's righted by one person at a time, one at a time, right? You, you kind of see that in uh, Jesus' ministry, right? There'll be a crowd of people, and he calls out one guy, or he works on one guy, or he goes across to this gathering demoniac, right? And he casts out all these demons, and what does he do? He gets right back on the boat, and he goes across again, Right? It, it, it's one at a time. It, it's, the great task is accomplished by one at a time, by sharing the gospel one at a time. So we, we've got to avoid these pitfalls. We've got, to, we've got to make sure that the main thing remains the main thing. You think about organizations. I work for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I was in a training once, and they're talking about other organizations that have drifted and how the gospel has to remain central. Um, you know, we, we, we've heard of the why, right? Our young people probably only know it as the why. Right? What's, what was it? It was the YMCA. What does YMCA stand for? What's well, the Young Men's Christian Association is what it is. Does it look anything like when it started? Are their values the same? Are their, are their missions and outreach the same? No. Did they wake up one day and become what they are today? No. It was just drift over time, right? They, they didn't keep the main thing the main thing. Um, our Ivy League schools, you guys familiar with the history of our Ivy League schools? Founded as seminaries, right? And now I think Harvard, the, the campus chaplain, is an atheist. Why in the world do you have any interest in being a chaplain as an atheist? It blows my mind. I don't, I don't, I don't even comprehend that. But they didn't just wake up one day and become that. It, it was a drift. They, they stopped making the main thing the main thing. And, you know, Christians have been champions of abolition and uh, our medical system and our educational system. These are, these are wonderful and good things. But when that becomes your main thing and you, you move yourself off of the gospel, which is the source of all of this, you get lost. You get lost and you drift, and, and we're already prone to drift, so it doesn't help, right? But we need to understand the, the hospital system and the education system, these are all downstream from the fountain that is the preaching of the gospel, right? All that stuff is a byproduct. It isn't something you shouldn't, you should avoid. These things are good to, to pursue. We should advocate for the unborn. We should advocate for freedom. We should be helping people up, right? But if we do that without the gospel, hearts are not changed. We have not, eternity has not been altered, right? People's biggest problem, I mean, you guys know this, uh, you know, someone that's irresponsible with money, one of the worst things you can do is give them a lot of money. 
doesn't help. Their, their heart hasn't been addressed. Their, their behavior hasn't changed. Their nature hasn't changed. It, it's like giving a 15-year-old a Ferrari. Like, that, that's not the answer. They probably need a, you know, a, a pickup truck from the 1970s that's made of steel is what they probably need. Um, so it, it's these simple things. We've got we've to keep the main thing the main thing. So this is, yes, and so we have evangelization, okay? And then we have, in verses 22 and 20 through 24, we have discipleship. We see this picture of discipleship. What's interesting, it says the report of this came to the Jerusalem church, and I just told you, Jerusalem was some 300 miles away. What was their main modes of transportation at that time? Walking, you know, chariot, I guess, if you're fancy, uh, maybe horseback, I don't know. Um, if you traveled 20 miles in a day, walk 20 miles in a day, that'd, that'd, be, a, that'd be a good day. Um, you could eat whatever you wanted on that, on that situation too. That'd take you 15 days to get there, right? What's interesting is the reports were being sent out and people were carrying these, right? We know that from Paul's letters too, right? He sent them with people, but they were in connection with other fellowships, right? They spent, they spent time... They, they were catching up on what else was going on, right? And, and I don't know, I'm assuming you guys are a part of an association. But you've got brother and sister churches, and we should be about knowing what's going on there and how we can we help them and how can we partner with them and we, we make our needs known to each other. Because Jerusalem hears about this, and they're like, wow, that's, that's something, right? This sister church, um, apparently they had fellowship with this other church. What did they do? Well, they sent Barnabas. They sent, they sent a delegation. They sent one of their very best. You know, we, we read about Barnabas starting in, uh, Acts 4, right, and, and Barnabas welcomes in Paul, we see this. Uh, Barnabas is a staple in these missionary journeys. So they send one of their very best off 300 miles away, away from their fellowship to go see if, if the work of God is valid and actually happening in Antioch. It's amazing. Um, and something to just be, I guess, to be mindful of, um, discipleship is always from one who is more mature to someone that's less mature. I think if I could go back um, in my Christian life, especially starting in college, um, I would have went to my pastor, and one of the first things I would have done is like, will you point out to me someone that's like 35 years old and has started a family and can just line me out because I know by default I'm a little bit of a knucklehead and I'm immature, and I could, I could use someone not my age to af affirm that and kind of help steer and guide me. So today, as a 37-year-old with six children, I have a mentor. I have someone that's like, hey, well, how's ministry going? What are you up to here? How's your family? You know, even if I don't want him to ask those things. We all, we need discipleship. And so um, we need to get back to those old ways described. Like in, in the book of Titus, you read the letter of Titus. It talks about the older men need to teach the younger men. The older women need to teach the younger women. Right? And by the way, uh, so we all need to be, we all should be discipling. The reality is this. We all are discipling, though. We are. We are making disciples, right? Whether it be our grandchildren, whether it be our, um, maybe it be our children, maybe it's our coworkers, maybe it's the people working under us, maybe it's our buddies on the golf course. We are, we are discipling them one way or another to one way of thought or not, right? We are having an impact on their life, or maybe they're discipling us. Um, we need to be careful about that too, but we are discipling. So it's really important. They, and, and Jerusalem saw this. They saw the importance of, hey, here's a batch of new believers. Who's going to train these guys up? Who's there to help them? Right? And so the church sent, uh, think about this, they sent uh, resources, they put forth time and persons to see the gospel advance outside of their immediate region. Right? Um, oftentimes we can be very um, 
community-centric, by the way, I, I think that's good. I think there's a, there's a reason for a local church. You want to reach your community. But I think with that, we, we shouldn't get short-sighted about what God's doing elsewhere and in, in, in our region. Clearly, Jerusalem saw that as valuable, and I think we should too. I think that's what Luke's highlighting. Um, so we need to understand this, and, and, and you probably do already. Um, it is costly to see the gospel grow. It costs to see the gospel multiplied. Um, it, it costs, um, obviously, to fund things like Operation Christmas Child. It financially costs. Um, it costs free hours to go disciple, right? It costs, um, it requires sacrifice. It always costs. It, it costs to have, have someone over and, and practice hospitality. Of course, when you get older and when I get older, I'll realize those are the things that really mattered. That's what stood the test of time, right? Not the, not the new toy or the three-day vacation, but rather those, those, those times we regularly are having people to our house. I, I love this. It says uh, in verse 22 there that Barnabas saw the grace of God. How do you see the grace of God? I was remind, and So obviously we, we understand this. When the, when the grace of God is received, it is visible. You cannot receive the grace of God and it not be and not be visible. It's going to show up in your life. You're going to see it, right? I'm reminded of the words of Jesus. He said, you know, those who are forgiven much love much. And we re- when we recognize how much we've been forgiven, that's going to alter us, right? We're not going to turn around and not be gracious to someone else. And, of course, part of the reason we're here this morning is to be reminded of that fact, right? To be tenderized again by the Word of God, that we would go out and be, be merciful toward other people and compassionate and patient. Um, I'm also reminded of the passage... Uh, it's so profound to me. Uh, when the, the paralyzed man is in the Gospels, uh, the, the roof's ripped open. They, they lower down the paralyzed man. And it says, and Jesus, seeing their faith. Their faith was visible. That's interesting, right? Because we kind of think of it as this just this internal thought, trust, process thing. But it's, it's evident. It's, our faith is expressed outwardly. Um, the grace of God is evident to the people it has touched. And so it's really important. Again, I just, I ask you, um, has the grace of God affected you in such a way that you live differently, that there is, there is fruit in your life, that you, you're being conformed to the image of Christ because that's God's will for you in Jesus. And then Barnabas, he's, he's in awe. He sees the grace of God. And then it says he, he taught them and encouraged them to stay faithful, um, staying, basically to stay trusting with steadfast purpose. So we see this purpose again. We're talking about what is the purpose of the church. And we see here, right here, he says to remain steadfast, um, to be trusting or faithful. Keep trusting. Remember your purpose. Remember your mission. And so this message this morning, that's really about what it is. Remember your mission. I think we, we struggle to keep marching forward. It highlights our purpose. We've got to be reminded of our purpose at all times. Where are we going? What is our target? Just like periodically my wife and I will have Budget meetings. Hey, where, where are we headed here? How, how are things financially? What, what are we working toward? You know what? If I have a goal, if I know where I'm going, I'm probably not going to waste money here, there, and everywhere if I have something better, right? If, and, and so as a church, if we recognize we're, we're pushing toward multiplication, okay, we don't have time for that. We, don't, we can't allocate for that. We've, we've got to stay focused here. This is what we're about. And then in verse 24, it tells us, that the Lord seemingly brought about a harvest through Barnabas as well. So Barnabas shared, more people came to the Lord. And so you're seeing multiplication of disciples. 
through even Barnabas. I love this note. Man, may it be said of all of us, right, that Barnabas was a good man. It's kind of an interesting thing, right? We, we learn pretty early on, if you go through the Roman road, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the text says that Barnabas was a good man. Well, how, how are we good then? Well, he's been transformed by Jesus. Right? He's been transformed. We, we can't be good on our own if you're, not, if you're not getting the gospel presentation here yet. Uh, we can't be good on our own. Barnabas had been transformed, and it said he was full of faith and full of the Spirit. Um, we read in Galatians, right? Um, walk in the Spirit, you, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You walk in the flesh, the end is death, right? Which one do you feed? The two wolves, right? Which one do you feed? You feed the Spirit, you're going to feed the flesh. So, um, and there is this, uh, this concept biblically in the New Testament, this idea of being filled with the Spirit and being refilled, right? Paul says to fan into flame the gift that's been given to you, Timothy, by the laying on of hands. We are to continue to draw from the well, right? We are to be full of the Spirit. And, and I hope your testimony would be, yeah, I've, I've had those experiences. Um, maybe it's been a while or maybe it was this week, but that we'd be full of the Spirit. So Barnabas was empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can have all the learning. You can know the text. You can know the Greek language. But if you don't have the Spirit behind you, it's of no profit. It's not going to matter. And he was full of faith. He trusted God. He took God at his word. And why do you think Barnabas was so strong in faith? Do you think it just downloaded into him? I think, I think he got to see God's hand a lot, right? He walked with Paul. <laughs> he got to see all kinds of crazy things happen, right? Um, but in evangelization, you know, some are like, oh, I just don't know if God's going to come through here. Well, why don't you try him? Why don't you be faithful to share the message and have a story to tell? You know, I don't, my kids, you know, learning to swim, right? And you, you, when they're little, you try to get them to jump off the, the edge and you'll catch them, right? And that's, a, that's a big threshold for, especially if you kind of raise them up to be cautious, um, you know, they're like, oh, I got you, you know, but in, they don't know you're going to catch them until they jump out there. Right. And, and God is so honored when we faithfully do those things. When we step out being led by his spirit, we're not going to stupidly do something that he doesn't call us to do. OK, I mean, Satan tried to get Jesus to do that. Right. Hey, jump off of this thing. The angels will catch you. Uh, no, I, you don't put the Lord to the test. But he had faith because he had exercised it. Right? He'd, he'd put it into practice. That's what he needed to do. And, that, and that's what we need to do. He took God at his word because he knew God's word was good. He had seen. He had tasted and seen the goodness of God. Right? And so when you know Jesus, guess what? When you know Jesus and you love Jesus and you're full of the Spirit, you don't have to drum up a sales pitch to evangelize somebody. It's going gonna, it's gonna to flow out of you. You're going to say, just come and see. Come and see. Um, you know the disciple Andrew um, interesting character, right? We don't, we don't read a ton about Andrew in the Gospels. Um, really, the chief, the chief thing that we know about Andrew really was this. He brought Peter to Jesus. That's all we know about Andrew. It's really mostly what we know is he brought someone else to Jesus. That someone else, by the way, kind of had a slight impact on our faith and history. That's what Andrew did, right? So maybe, maybe you're not a Peter. Maybe you're an Andrew. I don't know. But Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And it says they were added to the Lord. The phrase added to the Lord, I just think that's fascinating. Um, that would take a lot of time to, to spend to just sermons. And sisters, we're part of his family. Uh, we're friends with Jesus. What a great heavenly reality that when we come to faith in Christ, we are, we're not just someone he tolerates. We're not extended black sheep, but instead we are added to him. We are in his number. Right? Galatians says that all that have been baptized into him have put on Christ. We're clothed with him. 
Again, that, that's a lot to think about. And then as we get to verses uh, 25 and 26, we see the necessity of maturity. So Barnabas is there. He's preached. He's shared. Um, he's seen more people come to the Lord. And what does he do? Well, it appears here he seeks out backup. He, he goes, he's like, man, uh, I'm going to go grab Paul. I'm going to go wander over to Tarsus and find Paul. So Barnabas knew, by the way, here's the point. Barnabas knew that receiving the gospel was paramount, paramount. But he also knew that there's much more to it. It wasn't just that. That wasn't where you stopped. So he urgently sought out Paul. He actually left an active ministry to go bring someone else along with him to train these people up. And so Saul, it says Saul came to Antioch. It says they stayed a whole year, a whole year. So I would ask you this, if it was only about converting people and the gospel being received, why do you think they needed to be there a whole year? Why did Paul have to come? Right? I think we get, we get caught up in, um, you know, our, our denomination uh, can get caught up in numbers. Attendance. What's the attendance? What's, how many people made decisions this week? You know, what's your membership? You know, what are you running on a Sunday morning? Um, we're so worried about converts, how many converts we're making. But last time I checked in the Great Commission, it didn't say go and make converts. It said go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And what was the call? He said, all authority been given to me. Go and make disciples, baptizing them. And then what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. What was one of the things he just commanded us to do? Make disciples. Yes, that's a part of it. A disciple, when they're obeying Christ, is going to make disciples. Or be in that process somewhere. Um, whether they're a sender, whether they're a goer, whether they're someone that prays for those things. Um, but it's clear that some churches and, and some believers have never really progressed past the, the, the milk, right? The very simple things, the very low-level, low-shelf things. Not that we should ever depart from them, but we should build on that and go forward, right? Uh, there's a part, passage in Scripture where people are being indicted because they're still on milk and they should be on solid food. You guys should be able to be teachers by now, but you're still, you're still students. You're still infants, so I think we need, as a body, if we're in Christ as disciples, we need to hunger for the deeper things. We need to understand the greater depths of God's love, His mercy, His characteristics, what He's done for us, what He calls us to. Our lives should be just a continual dying off of ourselves and replacing it with what Christ has for us. And by the way, um, if you lack maturity, you know, Ephesians talks about um, if, you remain, if you remain immature like children, you're going to be tossed in fro, to and fro by winds of doctrine, if you guys haven't, you know, picked your head up in a while, there's a ton of false teaching out there. Um, man, get on social media for five minutes on something, which I'm not on it, but if you get on like TikTok or something like that, you're going to hear a preacher say all kinds of crazy things, right? Um, but counterfeit specialists, those that can spot counterfeits, they don't spend all of their time looking through fake stuff. They just get to know the real thing intimately, and then they can spot the fake stuff. So maturity, when we press in and we understand who Christ is and what his word says, we hear something that's going to go, not that. That's not quite right. I need clarification on that, right? We, the Bereans are commended because Paul came and spoke, and they said, you know what? That's got to align with Scripture. So we're going to look at the Scriptures and see if that's true. They were more honorable, it says, because they did that. And so we need to press on to maturity so we can push back and be effective against false teaching. Remember, the demons, they're described, you know, they can be, they deceive. They're like... They're like angels of light. They come, they, they, they look really good. Sounds really good. The, the teaching of the itching of ears, right? Oh, that sounds great. I've never heard that before. That's wonderful. 
should probably run if you've been under biblical teaching for any amount of time and you're like, oh, this is a fresh new thing I've never heard before. Yeah, it's probably because it's not biblical. Probably. Probably. Um, and then there's this, this great... So understand they made it a priority to spend a whole year here in Antioch to disciple these people. And so if we make... We make disciples. Part of that process is walking with them for an extended period of time to grow in maturity. That should be our goal. So it's not just to see the gospel multiplied in numbers, but rather in, in depth. And then verse 26 is so, it's so cool. It says, in Antioch was the first place that they were called Christians. Right? And today, I mean, that's, that's our call. That's, that's what we're Christians. We're in Christ. Um, I, I was reminded of um, there's a guy in the second century, his name was Pliny the Younger. If you ever go back and read, you can read some extra biblical accounts of like, this is a, this is a secular guy writing, basically, he was persecuting the church. Um, he was throwing him in jail and, and, and trying to get him to renounce Christ. This is a, a, Roman, a Roman governmental official, and he writes to this other guy, Emperor Trajan, and he wrote this letter in, in 112. And he's trying to describe, he says, yeah, I dissuaded a lot of them from, from Christ. They, they renounced Christ. But it seems, here's what he says. He says, but they declared that the sum of their guilt or their error only amounted to this, that on a stated day they had been accustomed to meet before daybreak and to recite a hymn among themselves to Christ as though he were a god. And, so, and that so far from binding themselves by oath to commit any crime, their oath was to abstain from theft, robbery, adultery, and from breach of faith, and not to deny trust money placed in their keeping when called upon deliverance to deliver it. When the ceremony was concluded, it had been quite their custom to depart and meet again to take food. But it was of no special character and quite harmless. And they had ceased this practice after the edict in which, in accordance with your orders, I had forbidden all secret societies. And so he's telling them this is what, from an outsider view, that's what the Christians were. They, they got together on a day of the week, and then they recited a hymn together, and they, they encouraged each other to stay away from sin and pursue purity. It's what they did. Um, it's really interesting when you think about uh, the, what are the odds that one itinerant preacher in the Middle East lead to, I think estimates are about 2 billion people would recognize themselves as Christians in the world. We go from one itinerant preacher in the Middle East to 2 billion people holding to the same belief, or, or relatively, right? That's multiplication. Right? Think about it. Uh, God's master plan to redeem the whole world was what? Send his son, pour into 11 guys, and then some other guys out there too. Really 12. One of them didn't turn out so well. Um, and then we're going to see the world completely transformed. So um, the secular historian estimates that by the year 150 or so, there's 30,000 to 40,000 Christians. By year 250, 600 to 700,000 Christians. By year 300, 2.5 to 3.5 million Christians. And then by year 400, 25 to 35 million. Now, in the 300s was when Constantine came about and, and Christianity became this, the religion of the state. And so that made it a lot more freely transmissible. But you see the multiplication was happening all throughout persecution. And what you actually read in history also is that between the Apostle Paul and Constantine, about 260 years there were only like three known missionaries. So how did the church grow? Well, it, it grew person to person. It was a grassroots effort. It was people sharing with their neighbors. It was, 
it was one to one. That's how that's how the church has always multiplied. It isn't. It doesn't have to be some some crazy event. And here's some applications to take with you as we as we march down the end here. First off, if you're not in Christ, this whole idea of gospel multiplication it has to start with you. If you haven't dealt with the reality of the gospel personally, you've got to do that first. You need a savior. Christ died to take your sins upon himself, and you can choose. You can pay for your own sins before God and stand in in your righteousness, which I do not suggest, or you can stand in Christ's perfect righteousness, Christ that gave gave himself up for us, lived a perfect life, resurrected on the third day. And by the way, if you think that being on a mission and doing good works will get you to heaven, will get you favor with God, you're wrong. The, The Spirit is what brings life. If you try to do things in your own strength, it, it's not going to stand up. It won't work. If you ever read a biography of John Wesley, you ever read about John Wesley in the First Great Awakening? John Wesley was a part of the Holy Club in college. Um, they were very devoted to spiritual disciplines. He traveled across the Atlantic Ocean, and he went to do ministry with, um, with native people groups in Savannah, Georgia. Fell flat, and on the way back, there was a storm in the boat, and he recognized these other believers that showed no fear of death. He's like, they have something I don't. He, he understood that. And so he said he was in a meeting once, and they were reading. Uh, it was an introduction to the book of Romans written by Martin Luther. And his, he said they were reading about justification, being made right with God through faith. And he said, my heart was strangely warmed. And I had been assured that I did believe and that my sins had been paid for. And then the rest of his ministry was never the same. The Spirit of God, he had a conversion experience. Christ had met him, and he'd understood who he was in Christ. And as a result, he, he rode, they estimate, like maybe a quarter million miles on horseback preaching the gospel. He'd preached to 10, 20,000 people at a time, sometimes in open air with George Whitfield. Um, he'd get kicked out of the church. The churches didn't want to have him because he was too firebrand, so he'd just go preach open air to the lay people. Uh, if you read about the First Great Awakening, it was a large percentage of the colonies were converted at that time. It was a great, great season of revival, but it started with his heart being changed. And if you're in Christ, understand this. Our goal is not to maintain the status quo. You know, we really like our, our group, and, and you know, you see the world and can look like the sky's falling at times. We're like, you know what? We just need to huddle up. We'll just strengthen up our walls. We'll just guard the walls. We'll scream when someone gets close to the walls. No. Who are we serving? Christ gave the church the keys to the kingdom. And he says before the Great Commission, I just mentioned it, all authority has been given to me. It says, therefore, go. As a result of me having all the authority, go. Keep going. Go. Who do we serve? Um, we're tempted to play defense, but instead we're actually called to be on the offense. And if, you, if you're struggling with that, we need to be reignited in our love for God and the reality of salvation through Christ and the life he brings. And how do you do that? Do you flip a switch? Man, if you're not there, I would say beg God through your prayer life, to empower you with His Spirit and plead to God for souls to be won. Start there, right? Jesus told the disciples, He said, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And He tells the disciples, go and pray that God would send out workers into the harvest. Who did God send after that? Them. Plead to God that He would would stir your heart for that mission. As a church, yes, we've been given the keys to the kingdom. By the way, this isn't just for pastors and ministry workers. You know, there's this idea, oh, you know, I've, I've preached at a couple places where they're, they're looking to hire a pastor. And I think there could be this idea of when we finally hire a pastor, then I won't have to serve so much. 
right? Then I won't have to do so much outreach. Then I won't have to teach Sunday school because we'll have a guy. We hired a guy to do that, you know? Or, you know, some church gets a youth minister and all the parents are like, okay, good, that guy will disciple our kids. No, no. The, the, the role of the pastor and the church leader, Ephesians 4 says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's for you guys to do. The pastor doesn't know your buddy or your coworker like you do. You're the missionary for that place. And then a reminder, we aren't just to make disciples, but also to teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded, which, by the way, part of that is making disciples. Another practical application, we need not rely on events and entertainment to win the lost. We don't need to hire some famous guy to come in hoping that the whole community will be converted because we got a celebrity to show up. How did the church grow? By the simple and faithful proclamation of the gospel to our neighbors and prayers and giving toward efforts elsewhere also. We must also keep the gospel as proclamation as our central mission to allow, uh, the, and allow the other efforts to flow from that reality. We don't need to change methods, guys. We just need to be radically devoted to what we're called to already. Be radically committed to what Christ has already told us to do. We don't need to invent something else. I'm reminded, I, I love FCA in the sense of it's a Zacchaeus ministry. I get to go to ball games and locker rooms and ball fields. I get to take the gospel to them, right? I get to take Bibles into the school building. It's really neat. We don't have to wait for them to come in the church to be evangelized. Instead, we go to them. That, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. If you, if you guys study the underground church in China, right, they'll, they'll huddle up daily. And FCA, by the way, we call it a huddle, right? What do you do in a huddle? You call the play. What's the play? The gospel. And then you break huddle to do what? To go run the play, right? And those Chinese Christians understand that. This is their livelihood. They get together in the morning, they pray for hours, and they sing songs like, let us be faithful unto death like the apostles. That's their hymn. And then they break huddle to go do it, knowing that some of them are probably not going to be back the next day. Right? Some of them are going to be in jail or gone. So we need to be a Zacchaeus ministry. Our, the ministry must reach outside of this building. And then uh, the last kind of practical application, we need to be focused on fellowship with other believing churches and aiding them in the work of seeing the lost reached in churches planted. So just in general, having this mindset of being a sending church, whatever that looks like, praying about what does it mean to be a sending church? Let us be a church that multiplies and sins. And if you're, if you're at all like convicted by this or um, challenged by this, I would commend you to Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. Here's what Paul says at the end of this letter as a prayer request. Here's Paul's prayer request in Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, my words, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. What is Paul's prayer request for himself? That he would properly share the gospel and he would do it fearlessly. This is the apostle Paul. I think if he asked for that, we can ask for that too, right? And, and pray for your brothers and sisters that they would do the same. And I'll remind you of this, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, and I'll pray and we'll have our, our time of response. Uh, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, just thank you for this word. Thank you for... Uh, God, I'm just thankful for grace. I'm just so thankful for forgiveness. I'm thankful that you have made life known to us, the way of life, Lord, that you've set us free, that, that we stand in your righteousness, Lord, if we are, we are in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would just burden my brothers and sisters 
in a way what God just just break their hearts for those that don't know you give them a greater love for people not a, not a fear so much as a love for other people father help us all to be those that look to multiply to be senders to be goers Lord help us to reach out Lord burden us with specific people even right now Lord that we know that we need to share with faithfully regardless of the cost Lord we know it costs to carry the gospel um, Lord I just pray during this time of reflection Lord that you you would move and work um, and Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would seek out um, people here, Lord, that they would, they would commit their lives to you. Lord, just thank you for your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's spend a couple minutes in personal reflection and response prayer, and then we'll stand and worship together.